Andre! Andre, open the door! Andre! You gotta get out of here! Listen, by the time we get through that door, he'll be on the outside waiting for us. So what are we gonna do? If he's still on Chester's side, I should be able to make it to the roof. I'll just wait up there for him to come out. He's either gotta go through the front door or out the roof. Danielle, keep working on that door. He might try and come in through the cabin. No, I don't think so. It's too awkward. He might be on the roof already waiting for us to come out. Yeah, I'll go out the kitchen window and up the pipe. He might be in our apartment. Yeah, he might. I think we should stay here. We're going to get through the door soon. Just probably at the police station already. I'm going up. Danielle, when you get through that door and it looks clear, run out of short intervals in different directions. In the meantime, watch for him out there. He might try and shoot through the door. I love to stay calm. You are listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 241. And I'm your host, Lee, corrupting decent people, Russell. And I'm joined by my special guest this week, Vaughn, don't call me turkey, asshole, Kuhlmeyer. How you doing, sir? Hey, what's up, man? Those, those middle, name, those middle uh, names are always getting me every time. The thing I hate is when ID, IMDb doesn't have a quote. I can just easily <laughs> capture. Don't have to pay attention right. to the movie more closely. <laughs> well, yeah, with this film, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like hardly any dialogue half the time. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that works really about well about this. Like, um, mm. yeah. Uh, so we are doing a not a lost film, really. It's just kind of like an overlooked sort of Canadian mm. exploitation film definitely. from '83 called Siege. Mm-hmm. Uh, just got a Severn release. That's why people kind of know about it this year um yeah but uh yeah we're gonna be looking at that uh in a, in a few minutes but uh first we can go into what we've watched lately i don't really have anything to mention i have watched a ton of shit but i've extraneously talked about this stuff on other podcasts <laughs> the last couple months so okay yeah uh so i'll just throw over to you Vaughn. okay so i got a couple things the outing from 1987 it's also called the lamp Oh, um, uh, th- that's the one with the genie, right? Yes, it's one with the, mm-hmm. the gin. So it's it's a film where you know a bunch of hoodlums come into a old uh, gypsy's house. They find her treasure, which is this big ornate lamp. They kill her, and then the, they ultimately get killed somehow by something in the in the darkness. The lamp ends up in a museum, and the researchers are kind of trying to figure out what what it is, like where it came from, all this stuff. Um, the bratty, like not, not, I can't say like, she's not like a tween girl. She's like late high school. So maybe 16, seven years old, mm-hmm. um, daughter comes in and is like, you know, kind of playing around with her father. She notices this bracelet, puts it on and it automatically links her to the lamp. 
Like it's the, the kind of the, the counteract. So her and her friends one night decide to break in and kind of they do like a a trip to the museum and the kids decide to kind of like hide out and sneak and stay underneath so they can kind of like get a little hangy panky and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But all shit breaks loose the night they decide to stay in the in the museum for the night. There's some really funny moments in that film. There's there's a for some odd reason there's a opera singing night guard. <laughs> just roaming around, and when he, and he gets he gets probably one of the more fun kills where he gets a harpoon through the chest into a glass case. And there's there's a scene where a, 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 one of the girls is bathing in a, in a you know a bath, and she gets attacked mm-hmm. by a bunch of snakes. Yep. While her boyfriend, we see the aftermath of him where he gets torn pretty much his ass elbow like so his feet or over his shoulders. When we see him, we don't see the whole. They kind of. You know, pick and choose the kind of special effects they want to do. It's kind of a you know a, a film. It's a you know one of those low budget kind of ends. But the the gin when they actually show the the genie, it's this big fucking hulking monster roaming in the aisles and stuff like that. It's a really cool film. It's been released a bunch of times. Like Shell Factory or Scream Factory released oh. it first time as the outing, and then they found another print as the lamp. And then Vinegar Syndrome just put it out on Blu-ray as like the most comprehensive cut of the film. Hmm. So they must have found a, a better, like a you know the uh, a better version that they restored and put it out. And then the disc is filled with a whole bunch of special features with the directors and all. It was actually a really good time. It's a film that I really like. Um, I remember, so it, um, sorry to interrupt. I remember no, no. watching this the last time I watched it was uh, in the nineties. Yeah. And this was this was like around the time me and my friends were like renting this and Night of the Demons and shit like that yeah. on VHS. So like good good yeah. like double feature of Night of the when Demons. When I when I was a kid, when I saw it originally with that poster where you think it's just gonna be a bunch of kids stuck in the woods somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, this looks really cool. And then I watched it and I was like, All right, it, it works. The box art actually works compared to what you're seeing in the film. Um and I've seen all the cuts because like every time it came out on Blu-ray or DVD, I bought it. Oh, yeah. And now that vinegar syndrome is like this is the most comprehensive release of it i was like okay i need to have it um and it's just it's a good time it's like it's a little under 90 minutes yeah so it blows by and the violence is just right there right and just it mm-hmm. works the whole thing and even like because it's the whole kind of like genie thing the girl who has the bracelet she's doomed regardless you know and everybody's going to survive this it's it's a fun little film for like that time period i remember the um I kind of remember the first, the sort of first kill being the most impressive one, though. Like the old yeah. lady, they break in, she gets like an axe to the head or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, then she, the, the three of them, either one gets drowned and the other one gets mm-hmm. attacked, but you never see anything, which is cool. Like, I kind of like that like, whole thing where it's like, we just, we do POV shots of the ki- of the monster killing everybody because mm-hmm. they probably didn't have the thing made. And well, the looks- fact that, and the fact that the gin, the, 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 the genie monster is this big puppet. It wasn't, it wasn't any CG because it was late late eighties, so they didn't have CG. But yeah. it, it was this humongous puppet that like three people controlled, and like it was roll. It just you know they they did a good job of shooting it where you can't see the bottom of it, so it's just like this hulking big monster. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking awesome. And when it's, it attacks people and it's like trying to grab at people, I'm like, oh, this is fucking great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a real fun time, you know. I remember it looking like a uh, when I when I first watched it, I thought it looked like a. Uh, they took a He-Man figure of some sort. Yeah. Like, <laughs> took all the some... fucking armor off it and just mm. painted it black. <laughs> Another thing I saw was I watched a uh, Pele. There's a it's on Netflix. This is a documentary about uh, the soccer goat uh, mm-hmm. Pele. Um, it's pretty much it talks about his his birth up until the 1970 uh, 
It was a World Cup, like his last World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the trials and tribulations of him being, you know, the, the greatest of all time and kind of how things kind of floundered and he tried to work his way up. And then when the 1970s World Cup came, it was kind of him showing everything and it just kind of stops right there. And then it kind of, you know, gives you the blurbs at the end about him going to the cosmos and, you know, retiring and then becoming, you know, commissioner and whatever like that. But it was, it's a, it's an interesting piece because it gets him very like whoever, like the surviving people that he, he either played with or coaches or um, kind of like, you know, the turmoil in his country at the time, uh, which is a big thing in the film, mm-hmm. which is really cool. But like his kind of like honesty about how he feels now compared to like then and how he felt conflicted about leaving the World Cup stage at one point because he felt like he got, you know, he won two back to back and then they came back and he got floundered horribly. This is like when he's a guy he's in his early 20s, teens, and he had just won two back to back World Cups mm-hmm. with his with his country's team. The country was so expected of him. And there's like, you know, you have dictators fucking running, running the country and. You know, and yeah. it's just it was such a it's it's an interesting little doc because it's 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 very honest. It doesn't pull any punches. And it's and, and he's not a guy who doesn't he doesn't like he won't like it's not like I won't talk about the stuff, but it's nice to have him sit there and talk about his upbringing and like how he felt about the world he was living in at the time. Um, so that was it was a really unique little thing. And that's on Netflix right now. Because okay. I right. thought it was something there's a there was a like a movie version of the same story time from mm-hmm. like three or four years ago. That's like Pele, the birth of a, a hero or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and I thought that was it. But then when it starts, I'm like, oh, this is just a straightforward documentary. I was like, okay, fine. So that, that wasn't bad. And then I watched um, Watch Out, We're Mad from 74, mm-hmm. Bud Spencer, Terrence Hill. Yeah. Um, because like last year, for some reason, like all like these streaming services like Prime and like you can find all these films. They were all out there. And nowadays they've kind of rejected it there is this like huge german box set that came out like maybe last year the year before which is great but it's all region b but it's all those films like the 14 films that they made together throughout the like 15 years that they worked yeah um so i'm slowly on at least like the one last film that's still on prime like so if you pay for prime you get it as your part of your subscription and i hadn't watched it and I'm like, oh, okay, I haven't seen this one. And I bought a bunch of them because it was like, oh, HD versions of Banana Joe and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And I was like, oh, okay, fuck it, just buy it. Like it's five bucks. Put it down. I'll keep. I'll have a. I'll have a you know a, a drive personal version in the cloud just so like to keep it just in case they completely all disappear off Prime. Mm-hmm. So, so, but I, I watched this one in there. Was it? They're race car drivers, mm-hmm. and Bud Spencer's obsessed with this red Puma dune buggy yes. and you have the oliver <laughs> onion song dune, uh, dune, dune buggy, buggy yep. which is great <laughs> yep um and the film starts with him sitting there standing or staring at the window like a little kid watching the truck the car slowly spin on the on the aisle and then all of a sudden you see him in the truck in the in the dune bunny sitting in there and he has this big smile on his face because he's like i know i can win this fucker and then they cut to the the race which is just bonkers mm-hmm. to the point where they both crash their cars into each other and they have to run to the fucking to the uh <laughs> the checkered line and they both win it, which, you know, kind of annoys the hell out of Spencer. But, you know, Terrence Hill's always got a smile on his face, regardless of what he's going. They start doing like their little competitions. So like they're like, why don't we do arm wrestling for the car? No. Why don't we do hot dogs and, and beer? Whoever can eat the most hot dogs yeah. and beer will do it. So they go to this random place that's connected to a circus. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, just like a, just a circus, like right next door to the place. 
as they're doing their little competition, these hoodlums come in, knock the place out, and not just knock the place, like, you know, do a little bit of damage. They fucking wreck the place yeah. with axes and just cut the whole fucking place to shit. As they're trying to leave, they... And the funny thing about this is this car is, you know, it's a nice little doom buggy. It's it's a really cool little Volkswagen doom buggy. One by person hit with the car, all of a sudden it's on fire, and they're both sitting on the street, like, <laughs> just like... And, you know, Spencer's pissed off. And you, you still have Hill going. He's a little upset, but he's just like, he's still got that silly smile on his face. He's like, oh, okay. So what are we going to do? And then it's it's their kind of like revenge for the for the dune buggy. They just go on an onslaught fighting everybody this um, this Italian kingpin has. Donald Pleasance pops up as like mm-hmm. the, the kingpin's doctor, which is just goofy as shit. And the yeah. one thing I like, one thing I really liked about it was that it's actually in Italy. Like it's not like they, where they're trying to make it look like America or they're on some kind of like Caribbean island, like some of them mm-hmm. are, or it's actually in Florida, like the late the eighties ones were. Yeah, yeah. It's actually like in Italy. They actually use that stuff. It's just that it's you know their dub. And the the one thing about it is that the dub actors, the guys who are doing the the lines, it's not the ones I'm used to. Oh yeah, yeah. Because like Terrence Hill had like Terrence Hill used his own voice, and Spencer had somebody, but it was always that kind of gruff voice mm-hmm. and this one it's definitely not terrence hill doing his own voice um and then there's a different and then the spencer one is a little different and i'm like okay yeah. it took me a little bit to get used to but he doesn't have a lot of words he's mostly just kind of either smiling or glaring at people the whole time mm-hmm. which i think is funny and it's you have like you have some really great fight scenes you have the one fight scene in like the gym so they're just beating yeah. up people they're just beating the shit out of people there's one where they take a car into a wedding and fucking yeah. wreck the place. And the fucking balloons everywhere. Yeah, and the and balloon, shit. and they jump into the balloons, and they, all you hear is just fighting and balloons popping. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm like, oh, for fucks, I'm like the best fucking thing ever. And it just yeah. it makes me think like, why can't we get like Kino to like buy the rights to all these fucking films and release them? I don't, I don't want to, I don't need a box set. Just fucking release them over the years, just two mm-hmm. here, three here. Just make them all available. And like Terrence Hill is still alive. We'd just be love to have like just interviews with him about talking about those films because he isn't doing any. Like he's not really making any films. He made that film. My name is Thomas a couple of years. And that was kind of the swan song. Yeah. Which wasn't very good. Like that he's, was on, he's in his yeah, 80s now. Or yeah, something, he's, right? yeah. Yeah. But he was still trying to do the whole kind of like, you know, he still looks great for a man in his 80s. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. the story. The story wasn't that great for that film. And it's like, you know, he the, the big, you know, you know, for my friend Bud at the end of the film, it's like, oh, because he directed it and stuff like that. I think he even wrote part of it. I was like, oh, yeah, OK. I was like, I'm not doing anything today. My, like, my girlfriend wasn't home. So I was like, all right, I'm doing this. We're going to sit down and watch this. So I made my kid watch this with me. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, he's just like, eh, back in his tablet. I'm like, fine, whatever. Fuck, who cares? I'll, yeah, whatever. You're too young. Whatever. I'll, I'll watch this myself. I'm just cackling like an idiot the whole time. So <laughs> it was a good time. And then I, because I watched the movie we're talking about tonight, mm-hmm. and I was like, I need something to levy a little lighter. Of, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this was, this was because Siege, because it's out through Severin, you can get, you can rent it or, you know, buy the digital copy. And it was like a dollar difference. So I just bought the digital copy. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right. I need something to watch that's completely opposite and like in the same wheel and like a comedy. And I was like, Oh, so I just dumped in Bud Spencer and Taron Schill. And I was like, all right, I haven't seen this one. Let's watch it. And just completely like, I was like, I was like, Oh, this is so much 
this makes the day so much better. Yeah. Because Siege I, just gets you, because that Siege just really fucking mires. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we'll get into it. But like, I was like, oh, I was like, you know, not in a good place when I finished watching that movie. <laughs> and I really needed something to kind of like just get me back in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think a lot of people, generally kind of cite that as their best one that they did together yeah a lot of people do i when yeah. i put it on when i put it on letterbox you just seeing other reviews and they're like yeah it's just one of the best ones and i'm like yeah sure but like i definitely i think everything they did together as a team even the ones when they were actually doing them in florida like in the early 80s and stuff like that i think they were working with canon i think at the time Mm, yeah, because there's there's like Aladdin was a canon film that Bud Spencer that weird Bud Spencer film where he's a genie, mm. fucking silly as shit. But it's like acid. It's like the story makes no fucking sense. But it's just gag after gag after gag. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it was like I'm like okay, like as they got like that those early films, yeah, those early seventy films, the Trinity films are really good for them. Mm-hmm. But like when it's like modern day stuff, yeah, this is probably one of the better films because it's just slapstick fucking fights the whole way through. Oh yeah, yeah. And they're and they're two guys who like each other but don't particularly care for each other, which I mm-hmm. I always love that animosity in there with their characters. So yeah, that's all I have to watch. I've only been watching. All right, cool. We are going to take a quick break and listen to a podcast promo and some music, and we're going to come back and talk about Siege. You ungodly warlock. Motion Picture Massacre is dedicated to exploitation, cult, grindhouse, and horror films from the last 7,500 fucking years. I don't fucking know. It's everything. If you're interested in that, check out motionpicturemassacre.com or if you're on iTunes, search Motion Picture Massacre and you'll find it. This has been your announcer, Cowardly Fuck Your Bags, signing off. Eat a dick. You ungodly warlock.
Siege 1983, and we have a trailer. Oh. A police strike paralyzes an entire city and unleashes a violent new order. Suddenly, every citizen must arm and protect themselves. What do we got to defend ourselves with? The attackers have every kind of weapon. The innocent defenders have only their courage and their cunning to survive the siege. Siege. Today, their city. Tomorrow, yours. Wow, that makes it sound like a much like grander scale movie than it actually yeah, is. Like all the, the whole city's under siege and they've got yeah. laser guns, apparently. But <laughs> uh, but this is Siege 1983, a.k.a. Self-Defense. Uh, it's probably its best well-known alternate title. It's yeah. also known as uh, Night Warriors. Uh, in Germany, it's known as New York 1991 Notch on Getzit, or Night Without Law. Um, so this is directed by Paul Donovan and he's sort of had a nice little sort of steady career here in Canada. Oh, and Maura O'Connell as well, who was his uh, girlfriend for a while and produced a bunch of the movies with him, but actually has a directing credit on this one. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Donovan did, uh, he started with self Pacific 1942, which even he says was a piece of shit. Uh, basically Uh, Defcon 8, right? Defcon 8 was one of the films he made. Oh, Defcon Four. Sorry, yeah, oh, Christ. From, from eighty-five, and that's probably his most well-known other uh, film. Yeah, uh, it's it's probably best known, and I think everybody's seen the poster for this one with mm-hmm. the uh, astronaut suit, the skeleton in the desert. Yeah, 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 it's awesome as fuck. And then he was a producer on Lex, if I remember correctly. Yeah, producer and director on Lex. So yeah. um, uh, that's his other big claim to fame. And uh, I quite like Lex. I thought it was yeah. Cool, so. I thought it was a cool little show. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely something different. Yeah. Uh, so this is starring uh, Tom Nardini as Horatio, and he was uh, he had a sort of a small little career going. He he was in some notable things. Uh, American actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Cat Baloo and The Devil's Eight, or two ones that sort of stand right. up for me, and did a lot of TV. Brenda Bazinet as Barbara. She did mostly Canadian TV. She sort of popped up in just about every sort of Canadian made TV show. Yeah. She didn't look familiar at all. I mean, like she looked like somebody who should be in film, but I was like, Ugh. and I looked at her IMDb and I was like, Oh, I've never seen anything else that she's been. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was, still, she basically just did like one shots in stuff like Friday, the 13th, the series. Okay. Uh, the hitchhiker, which was that anthology series, yep. which is pretty cool. It has a great theme song anyway. Right. Uh, Street Legal, Avonlea, North of 60, Forever Night. The, uh, you know, the, the oh, Forever Night. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, even Goosebumps, she was in a couple okay. of those. So we have Daryl Haney as Chester. I think his biggest credit, honestly, is he wrote Friday the 13th Part 7, oh. The New Blood. Wow, okay. Yeah, he, he was mostly a TV writer, but he does yeah. have a credit for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry David Despree as Daniel. Now we have two uh, people directly from Meatballs. 
Yeah. Uh, we got Jack Blum as Patrick, and he was mm-hmm. Smaz and Meatballs, and yeah. he was also in Happy Birthday to Me. We have Keith Knight as Steve. He was Fink in Meatballs, and mm-hmm. he was Hollis in My Bloody Valentine. That's how mm-hmm. I, I, when I saw him, I was like Hollis, and then yeah. I was like, and then I look back, and he's in like, yeah, he's in Meatballs, and he's like a whole bunch of other fucking things. Like, why? And he's what is? Yeah, and I was like, why do I remember him from that? Because he doesn't even look familiar without the big fucking mustache. And I was like, mm-hmm. but it's still like, okay. And the fact that he's the blind guy out of the group, it's like, oh. yeah, it's like shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, class of 1984 as well. And yeah. unknown origin. That's isn't that the um, a rats living in the, the uh, Cosmatos film. Yeah, it's the uh, Peter Weller monster rat uh, film where mm-hmm. he, his wife and kid go away for the weekend and he fights the rat all fucking weekend and just tries to and gets and destroys the fucking house. Yeah, mm-hmm. that movie. That movie's fucking awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we got then we got a guy who looks like he's ready for the fucking grave already. Uh, Doug <laughs> Lennox as Cabe. He is dead now. Uh, rest yeah. in peace. But mm-hmm. um, here he, he looks like he, he could have been like a, a the, brutal. The other choice brutal for the tall dude. man. Or but he shit. was he was in the first two police academy characters pl- movies playing somewhat the same character, a little more of a jokey character, but mm-hmm. somewhat the same character. Yeah, he was like a. And like in and uh, it was Police Academy and Police Academy three back in training. Oh, he did three. Okay, okay. And he basically played a variation of the same character, although yep. different characters in Police Academy. Like he was an axe mm-hmm. murderer in one, and right. something in another. Um, he was also in uh, X Men. He was the bartender that Wolverine yeah. uh, gets a beer from in in the opening there. And he's in uh, Lars and the Real Girl. Remember that mm-hmm. film? Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, I'm looking it up, and I'm like, he looks familiar, and I'm like. From what and there was a like police academy movie. So I was like, okay, yeah, I remember that. Then I was like, Lars the real girl. I had to go back and kind of find pictures, and I was like, oh yeah, okay, I remember him in that movie. Yeah. Um, so. we have Jeff uh, Pastil as Goose. Um, mm-hmm. he was in Defcon Four, Killer Party, Iron Eagle yeah. on the attack, and he's even easy. Yeah. <laughs> the fuck. Not a good movie, but no. um, <laughs> and he was. He was also in uh, Saw Five, of all things. Just oh, okay. Like, I remember d- d- him from from Killer Party, definitely, because that's mm-hmm. just, that movie's just stuck in my brain too. Like like my Blue Valentine. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times you see like, oh, why is he in Saw Five? Because they shot in Canada yeah. and they needed yep. Canadian actors. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Fred Wadden is Ian. Gary Dempster as Lloyd, Dennis O'Connor as Clark, and here we have uh, a especially relevant one, I guess, these days. Uh, Richard Collins as Rosie, and this is kind of like one of his only real film roles outside of mm. the Trailer Boys, or Trailer Park Boys franchise. He was yeah. Philadelphia Collins in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, it's, it's amazing that he went from that to, like, those films in the in like the the film the film versions not even like the TV show he's in he's in the movies which is like okay sure fine mm-hmm. cool and it's like that's awesome yeah he, he popped up in like a couple episodes but there's like all right we'll make him prevalent in that yeah I mean that makes sense yeah I I, I really I I don't know if you're I guess because you're Canadian you it's a fucking if you don't like Trailer Park Boys you're pretty much kicked out of the goddamn state yeah so, pretty much <laughs> yeah I mean it, it is shot in my home province and everything so. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I mean, technically, DefCon Four is mm-hmm. it takes place in my home province because they oh, yeah. their their spaceship crashes on the uh, on the east coast in Nova Scotia. So, <laughs> well, this this film too, this film is mm-hmm. is is loosely based on a on a on a thing that happened four years prior, right? In 81, or three yes. years prior, in eighty one. Yes. 
which um, which I, which because I was reading about this that actually that opening piece with the reporter is actual footage mm-hmm. from TV at the time in eighty one, and I was like, holy shit, really? Mm-hmm. And, and it's like the only known remaining footage from that incident of the strike. Yeah, and I was like, "Fuck, okay, that's cool." Yeah, we got a police strike that happened in 1981 in May of 1981, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reporter here is Blaine Hinshaw. Uh, his only IMDb credit because he was just a journalist, and this is footage of him. Although yeah. he is, um, is he a musician too? Yeah, he's a musician now. He, he, he's sort of a somewhat local celebrity in the Maritime provinces, basically, <laughs> like kind okay. of. About as big as you can get in the maritime provinces without you being known outside of them. Okay. Uh, so he's just kind of in this. Um, but yeah, we, we have a synopsis here uh, from someone called Oli Ryle Olson from IMDb. He says, a bunch of self-righteous bullies want to set some new rules in town while the police in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada are on strike. Okay. They try to scare all the gays and lesbians in a bar, but by accident, <laughs> the owner of the establishment is killed and the leader of the bullies didn't decide to execute all witnesses. One guy, though, escapes and takes refuge in an isolated block of flats. The young mm-hmm. tenants in the house refuse to hand over the survivor, and the bullies didn't decide to get rid of all the residents in the house. This right. turns out to not uh, be so easy because the young people in the house barricade their apartments, set up traps, and arm themselves in order to fight back, and this inevitably leads to more bloodshed and killings. Um, bullies is an understatement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fucking yeah. fascists. Like, it, straight up. Fascist, full, yeah, they're they're full, like on, a vigilante, you know. like a fascist vigilante group running around, and they, it's that opening seat. That opened 20, 10 minutes, fifteen minutes. It's yeah, just, a good fifteen minutes. Fuck, like mm. they just come in and just fucking start, just start shit, mm-hmm. and you're like, really, and like, and I understand, like your country, like I don't know, it's never like it's like kind of like the UK too, like in the last like ten years or something like that, have been more kind of lenient about homosexuality and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, my country isn't any better, but like from since the seventies people, the, 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 the gay community has been very kind of forceful about like being taken seriously. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay. And it just, that starts right there. And it's, and, and the cool thing about it is that it's not, it doesn't do the whole kind of faith thing. It doesn't try to make them be like fucking stereotypes of their, of themselves. It takes it very seriously. And I'm like, all right, cause you, I've been to many gay bars in my life and mm-hmm. it's a place where people can just kind of be themselves and not worry yeah. about being bullied or, you know, accosted. And the people who are in there are just kind of hanging out and just doing their own thing. And then these fucking dickheads walk in with, with fucking bats and clubs and shit. And you know, nothing, you know, something bad's going to happen. You know, it's not yeah. going to be good at all. It's very, um, it's very refreshing the way I'm not going to say this is like the most progressive movie or anything like that. Well, for, I mean, for the time though, it's it, just, it is. Yeah. Yeah. The gay club is just kind of presented as a kind of a little dive bar down in the basement of this building, basically. Yep. And yeah, you're right. Nobody is, it, it's not fucking cruising. It's not like, yeah. you know, the stereotypical like leather daddies everywhere and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's just a mm-hmm. bunch of people dressed normal, hanging yeah. out, having drinks, like, they yeah. there's there's nothing really similar about them. There's I guess there's there's two uh, two lesbians in it who kind of yeah. look like Paula Poundstone a little bit because they're in suits <laughs> or whatever. Right. But but I mean uh, the the gayest dude in there is the bartender with mm-hmm. the ne- neckerchief. You know yes. that's, that's about it. <laughs> and yeah, they come in across them and they pretty much refer to that like they they they're wearing armbands with no on it and mm-hmm. it's like they tell us what that is about. It's a new order because. 
you know, the, the we don't we, we actually don't know how like I don't know if I remember they for reference how long they've been in strike, but it's definitely been long enough where these groups have kind of these factions have kind of rose up and are slowly yeah. trying to push them, trying to push themselves in as the new like is a new is a new face of what's going to be, um, you know, covering for the cops. Yeah, the actual the actual cop strike in 81 lasted, I think, 40 to 50 something days. Yeah, uh, it was so like it went well into the summer because but in it, this in the film, though, they do mention that it like by the end of the film when they have a, we have a blurb, it says 42 days after the incident, the cops mm-hmm. came back. So this this film starts like right as the strikes and strike happens, I guess, within in the world of 1981. Uh, yeah, it's about yeah. a week after the strike starts is because yeah. I think the actual strike lasted about 56 days or something like that. Jesus. Officially. Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. After that strike, it, it mm-hmm. actually set in motion for the government government to make it illegal for the police and the fire department to strike because they're yeah. considered essential services. So now, yeah. so now they got to do like, you know, collective bargaining or whatever. Well, that's what they, that's what they did. Like I worked for the post office in the States mm-hmm. and in the 60, in the early sixties, late fifties, there was a huge strike. And after that, they put in the bylaws we're not allowed to strike. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it one. It's one. It's, you know, it's column B section six, no striking. And, and mm-hmm. if you want it, even if you want to kind of protest, you can't do it between working hours. You have to do it off the clock. So you can do it, you know, in the morning and you can do it at night, but you can't, you know, you can't deliberately stop the work, the work from going through. Yeah. And it's like, okay. I was kind of, I was kind of pissed about that a couple of years ago. And I found that I was like, fuck, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. So, you know, the cliche, Canada's really nice and polite and shit yep. like that. So, <laughs> so I mean, going all, going along with that, where it kind of reflects in real life, right. uh, yes, there was a, an increase in crime and violence and stuff as the strike was going down. Mm-hmm. But most of it actually, ironically, centered around the main police station was at the time. Okay. Like a lot of this shit sort of just happened in that local area more than anything else, apparently. So it wasn't that this movie is like, Hey, what if this went really, really bad? Like, what what's the worst possible kind <laughs> right. of shit? That yeah, could definitely. So, yeah. So what happens is they're accosting the bar. They're be- they beating up one guy who's pretty much just sitting there dancing and uh, you know by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, the bartender pulls out a starter, pulls out a pistol, threatens him to get out. Drops the pistol within a, a little bit of a melee. They kind of fight with him, drag him across the bar, and he lands on a broken wine bottle. Yeah, impaling him dead. Right. Goes right, goes right through them too. Yeah, it's right. Like, like, it's like I, I was looking at. I was like, okay, the bottle isn't quite long enough that I believe it could actually go right through but him. There was but, a good piece of that bottle because that bottle broke into one big nice piece, and there was a big mm-hmm. shard. It should have went. It, if they really want to be realistic, it probably would have popped through the front of his, his stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you have this whole bottom of the bottle sitting in this bloody mess, and these yeah. guys are freaking out. And you have, you definitely have something two of these guys are a little more kind of into this and you have the kind of weaselly little dude who's freak who's losing his shit about it because he doesn't mm-hmm. want to go to jail because he knows exactly what what this is in second degree blah, blah, blah. and they're like well we'll call in cabe like and he's like okay is it is that right cabe yeah, yeah cabe yeah cabe. so they decide to call cabe who's pretty much the the ringleader of these guys mm-hmm. and they explain to him what's going on he comes he they have them Pretty much tie them up, you know, duct tape their mouths, and they zip tie their thumbs, which I've never seen before. Mm. Um, 
and they get them down on their knees and Kay pretty much pulls out his pistol, puts a silencer on, gets a pillow and starts shooting each one of these people on the back of the head. Daniel is the only survivor. He's able to get out of his restraints with a small little pocket knife uh, and is able to avoid them, kind of kind of jumping through windows and getting through different buildings. He comes across his one building and he's just lucky to kind of come across this, which is yeah. just pure luck because he would he could have came across anything and he would have got either got pushed back out or saved. Um, and we get we get a bunch of these, you know, these is it four men and one woman, five men and woman. Yeah. It's uh, uh yeah yeah f- five men um no four men uh so yeah you got yeah you got yeah. um you got Horatio and Barbara they're a couple mm-hmm. um and they uh you got Chester who is the guy in the apartment next to them who's they never really get into the background but he must be into some shady shit because he seems like he's a pretty capable militant type of type of dude right? but it seems like horatio and chester kind of had the same mindset yes about yes. everything because they're working they're the ones working together and then you have you have steve who's a blind man who seems like they're kind of just both are uh, legally blind oh yeah, patrick, patrick is but he has glasses so he he's he's mm-hmm. by the state he's legally blind yeah but but steve is a blind man who walks yeah. with a cane and it seems like they're kind of teaming up the five of them to keep those two men more um, safe during this whole thing, because they seem to be, you know, very easy to kind of get accosted by people. But Horatio and Chester have a kind of a mindset that they need to be well and high alert during mm-hmm. this whole during this whole during this whole um, strike that's going on. So they've kind of rigged their apartments together because they actually live right next to each other. They have cut out their medicine cabinet wind wall. Yeah, you have kind of a, a, a see through between the two of them, so they can can back and forth stuff and kind of communicate without actually having to leave their apartments. So they come come across them. Um, they bring him in. They bring them in. He, they, he explains what happened and that these people are looking for him. The new order finds them fairly quickly, mm-hmm. and they t- pretty much go uh, you know full on siege on on the apartment building yeah. um, from across the way. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's a one night deal. Like I read your review on letterbox and you were referencing mm-hmm. that it was very kind of influenced by uh, assault of Pre-Gen 13. It is. Yeah. But with that kind of mindset in like Romero's zombie universe, where mm-hmm. it's more about the people that they work with together because both factions are kind of, well, the, the more the, the fascist faction, they seem to be kind of, people who are kind of being dragged into things that they don't really want to be a part of. Yeah. Like there's a couple of those guys that are definitely, they're doing it because their friends are doing it mm-hmm. and they have no choice. And then you have Chester and Horatio who are very kind of militant. Yeah. Like I mean, Horatio seems to be the lesser of the two, but they're definitely, they have their minds set and they know what they need to do. And they know that they need to protect the people that are in their vicinity. Like, they need to protect Patrick and Steve, and they need to protect Barbara. Even though Barbara seems to be a very strong-willed woman, she does. You know, there are some issues when she does get attacked, where you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, she she pulls off this kind. She puts up this this wall, but when she's definitely down on the count, she she knows how to handle herself, but she definitely is going to get fucked up at some point. Yeah, she's yeah, she's very high strung. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is how she's sort of portrayed. But yeah, like I get the feeling that at least maybe Horatio has some sort of like military background, maybe. Right. 
Um, mm-hmm. And then Chester, at the very least, is kind of like a weekend warrior type, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And our two our two blind characters, uh, from what from what I like, it, it's not really super explained no. in, in the actual text, but I get the idea that they're kind of like being taken like it's almost like a social service like caregiver kind of situation yeah maybe barbara was their social service service assistant and then they just kind of brought them into their apartment and letting them live there while this is going on Mm -hmm. because they don't they they probably she doesn't feel that they're you can tell that she doesn't feel that they're safe out on the street because when steve goes out the the first kill we get when when after daniel explains everything what happened and why he's hiding and they decide to you know, give him sanctuary. Steve decides to go out on his own to kind of just get a a brush of fresh air. So he goes down the stairs and as he's going down the stairs, he gets outside the door. He gets this big smile on his face because he feels the fresh air. And then he gets annihilated by like six different guys with fucking high powered rifles and uh, and machine guns Yeah, with with silencers on them. It's just fucking nasty. All, all these guns, by the way, Mm -hmm. authentic guns, like not movie prop guns that they were using. Really? Um, yeah. And and uh, the coolest thing is, and the thing that kind of gives it a little bit of, I guess, a little bit of pizzazz when it comes to the attackers, they got this mm-hmm. one guy who's a sniper on the other on the other yeah. side of the street on the roof with a infrared scope of some yeah, sort. Which isn't which isn't 100 percent like something mm-hmm. happens where he gets fucked and it doesn't it, it works like 20 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. But he's a really good shot when it works, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, but you, you see that you really they have these like these really high power weapons and you're like, Hmm, like it's, it's, it's a little too clever. And then with Horatio and Chester, they have like a couple of rifles. They have a, yeah. uh, a bow and arrow. They definitely have a couple of kind of like um, made explosives and stuff like that. Um, but nothing too, like nothing like what they have. It seems like very, uh, very, coming home, like, yeah. very home alone, right? Like they, they, mm-hmm. they immediately sort of like get the situation. Yeah. Well, these guys are outside. They've just gunned our friend down, so they have automatic weapons or semi-automatic weapons. It's very- and they just, after they kill Steve, they pretty much just once they start start seeing them in the window, they just start shooting into the windows mm-hmm. and trying to kill them like that. Even though they don't, they they have an idea that Daniel's in there. They're not really sure. Yeah, they know that he ran in that building, and they and they just realize that these people look a little more different than everybody else that's in the apartment building. Yeah, um, and that's where they kind of get it, like. And then when they see Daniel, that's when it clicks and they decide to go in, into the building and they kill a bunch of, you know, they, they kill like one of the neighbors who opens the door like an asshole. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I think, uh, I think honestly, there's only like really one other tenant in the, in yeah, the, and he gets uh, his ass sh- yeah. shot to death. Like, yeah, he's, he's the drunk guy who mm-hmm. he gets killed. The last time you see him, his cat's like drinking his blood, blood <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. But, but uh, uh like yeah like uh, so our you know Horatio and and, and Chester immediately mm-hmm. know oh, we we got to we got to arm ourselves with what we got so they improvise a bazooka yep. at one point yeah. yeah and that and that's what they use to take out the sniper cuz the sniper is kind of the biggest threat every time they try to pop their heads out anywhere or get a look mm-hmm. at anything the sniper's yeah. right on them so. and you have Patrick because he's blind his hearing is is well impaired he's daredevil yeah pretty much <laughs> So he's able to listen through walls and whatnot, and they pretty much use his ability of, you know, his his excellent hearing as their as an advantage for them, uh, which is kind of like the one f- like fantastical thing. Yeah. Um, and then Cabe is kind of like this. He doesn't make any fucking sounds at all. Like there's that one scene where he just goes in 
through their their like they label a hutch on the roof and he Ooh. just slowly starts to steal their weapons from them and doesn't and they, they don't even hear anything and they're right in the next room. Yeah. And he is the most silent motherfucker in the world. He's he's straight up a slasher killer. Like the yeah. movie becomes a slasher film in the final third when he's the guy that's left you right. know, facing them, right? Yeah, because they slowly because they slowly are figure are able to figure out how to kill every one of them because they just they get sloppy. Mm-hmm. They all run in like assholes and they just like don't expect they think that they're going to be able to just take these guys out really quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's it's kind of fun when you get those little scenes, especially the guy with the hat that fucking just won't shut the fuck up. And he's the one who started this whole thing in the beginning. With. Yeah. And when he gets his ass killed, it's like, oh, yeah, finally. Beautiful. Yeah, it's wonderful. Although I like the the guy who plays uh, our, our Philadelphia Collins here. He's yeah. the guy who, who gets the arrow to the throat oh. and. and <laughs> It's funny. Yeah, like they pull him through and they just, like they open the thing and he's they set that little thing off and he's like, What's this? And he opens it up and just slit right in the neck. And it's yeah. like and they and they cut back to him multiple times laying there dead, dead. with yeah. the arrow through the neck. And it's like, okay, I can I can see why you guys why you guys keep wanting to show that because that's a really good effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's 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 just kind of it escalates, right? Like because yeah. at, at at the start, the, the viol- like there there is a little bit of gore, but it's like mm-hmm. yeah. It, it builds and builds and builds like this is it yeah, is but a, it's it's super it bleak it's super mm-hmm. bleak from the very start and that's why i was saying like i needed some kind of like something to really pick me up because like i don't mind films like this i actually really enjoy like like, like after watching this like i said i bought the i bought this on prime mm-hmm. and I actually after i watched it i actually went to severin and bought the blu-ray because i'm like oh, yeah. Fuck, i need to have this I don't know who I'm going to show it to, but I need to have this. I want to read. I want to watch all the special features and all this stuff. That's yeah, on. they get the they get the longer cut on the on the Blu-ray as oh, well. Oh, even better. Because yeah, this was like eighty nine minutes or something, eighty eight minutes. Yeah, like there, there, there's like there's fifteen minutes that are sort of wow. cut out of the out of the the widely available version. Okay. Although I have seen the the fifteen minutes that are added back in. Mm-hmm. And I think it actually works better with the fifteen minutes cut out because oh, okay. it's it's mostly scenes before we get into the movie okay. that, that we know that uh kind of like give background on both of our groups of characters. Oh, okay. And I yeah, think I, I like the fact that there was kind of like you get little glimpses of everything, especially you get the big reveal at the end. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about. But. Oh yeah, de- uh, definitely. Because this is this is assault on precinct thirteen. But the flip yeah. on it is that the cops are bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Because you have bar. You have yeah. You have a one. You, so they survive the night. Ultimately, you know, Daniel mm-hmm. is able to survive the night. Horatio and Chester and Barbara survive the night. Everyone well, else. No, Chester dies. Oh no, you're right. Um, but everyone else, everyone else dies. Uh, most of ninety percent of the of our bad guys are killed, except for the sniper who yep. has been injured. Um, and we see what we see how he gets injured at one point, but he kind of gives up after a while because it's just his his equipment isn't working. I fucking um, give up too, Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> yeah, he got, keeps fucking he keeps trying to get it to work, and it would it works for a little bit because they they definitely were able to get him at one point and kind of mm-hmm. knock his shit out. Which was good. Well, he got the um, bazooka blast, right? He got the yeah. improvised. That's why bazooka. he had the scars on his face because of that, yeah. because of the improvised way. Um, so we got to crawl. We got to, you know, we got to cut, and it's a woman playing with her child in the park. They're playing catch or roll the ball, and it says it's forty-two days after this incident, the cops came back to work, and as the child is rolling the ball, she rolls the ball down the hill, and a cop picks it up, and it's our sniper mm-hmm. who still has the visible scars on his face from the attack. 
and you're like, oh fuck, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, and, and to, be, to be honest, it's it's a huge thing here in the states. You know, just in the last year and a half, fucking George Floyd shit. Yeah. Um, and like the whole blue lives matter, all that dog shit. Yeah. Um, then you realize more and more that like a good like seventy percent of the cops in the states are kind of fascist assholes who just yeah. really live by the gun and it's like fuck you know it's like you're not you're you're yeah it's just like ugh. It, it, it keeps it keeps putting that sour taste in my mouth as a person mm-hmm. who, who doesn't particularly respect cops to begin with um and it's just like mm, it's, ah, a, just, it's a fucking gut punch isn't it like it, yeah. it's, a, it's a real it's it's a real because it's something that could really happen if if yeah. you if we had this kind of lawlessness, the first people we you know would take arms would be co- cops who were allegedly striking. You mm-hmm. know, they would be the ones roaming the streets trying to control things. Yep. And it's like, yeah, it's not like yep. it's not like the Simpsons where fucking you have a bunch of drunks running around, um, you know, accosting people for money because we we are now the law while while the drunk cops are fucking sitting at home. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not that fun and roses and shit like that. No, it's the most malicious assholes running around, and they're the ones who had badges at one point. Again, another sort of difference between the U.S. and Canada. Canadian cops aren't necessarily going around gunning people down every fucking day. Well, like yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't show up in the in the papers as much and things like mm-hmm. that. So here, it's it's a real gut punch to see like, oh yeah, these these fascists who you know yeah. who are fucking cops. Mm-hmm. They're finally getting to during the strike. They're finally getting to uh, just you know yep. succumb to their 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 biggest desires to yeah, like push just, their weight around and actually show mm-hmm. the, their true their true selves. Yeah, and it's yeah. and like you can see when you look at like when you actually when the reveal happens, you can it, it kind of clicked in the head is like how they have such high powered weaponry and mm-hmm. stuff like that because that stuff would be in their arsenals for kind of certain you know, tactics and whatnot. Yep. So it's like, especially here in the States, like we have fucking tanks for no fucking reason in, in the smallest of, st- in the smallest of towns because mm-hmm. this government's gave them money to buy these a- anti, you know, SWAT materials and stuff like that. So you have these like small little fucking rural towns with a tank in the back, in the back of the uh, police department. It makes no sense. So yeah, it's like, okay, you can understand that would happen if it- law went to shit anywhere. Yeah, it makes me it makes me think like so you know it's not totally spelled out right. who Cabe is, but it makes me think Cabe is a lieutenant or something. So like that. yeah, like a high up in the in the police force who can right. by you know underhanded means get access to all these weapons. And ha- he has respect for the the men have respect for him because of his rank. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like you know some of these some of these guys are just you know your your weekend warrior types who drink yeah. with the cops in the bar or whatever, mm-hmm. but you know like Cabe I. I definitely think is probably a fucking cop yeah. and he probably, you know, pulled a few strings, got a bunch of these uh, stuff that was, you know, illegal weapons confiscated and lockups. Right. And then, and, and just took them. And right. I mean, who, who was going to, you know, he's one of those guys who was powerful enough that no one was going to look the other, you know, look and see what he's doing. They're going to yeah. look the other way. And mm-hmm. so, it's like all the stuff that happened in Portland last year when the, when mm-hmm. they cops like abandoned their freaking for their, their thing and they had pretty much you know night by night by night freaking you know protesting going on and they would yeah. just you know sh- you know shoot shit into the air into the air to kind of caught everybody but no one but it's like yeah. that kind of stuff where it's like you can definitely tell the cops are so overly like they were prepared for it like we're prepared for war pretty much because they would push yeah. out with tanks and spray people with shit um and but it 
didn't stop the people from coming, which they kept every coming every night. And thank God um, they kind of, you know, explain a point and it, and it worked very well. Um, but that's the kind of stuff that you see and you watch the show and you go, yeah, it could yeah. be a little bit of lawlessness and shit goes really goes down the hill. Uh, you know, even if it's peaceful protest, the cops go fucking bonkers. Right. Around in the States, which, you know, they did that in California, they did it in Portland, they did it in New York mm-hmm. when they were doing all the George Floyd protesting. That once if anybody stepped out of line just a little bit, the cops are there to fucking pretty much light you on fire. I and mean, like, yeah, you, you sit them, you see them sitting there like, yeah, pet, patting, patting fucking proud boys and other yeah. sort of fascists on the fucking back and taking yeah, like that fucking like them. that fucking kid who killed a couple of people. Yeah, a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, like, I can't. I don't even talk about his name. No, um, but we all know who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you have assholes like Ricky Schroeder fucking bailing him out of jail and stuff like that. Piece yeah. of shit. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's it. Last year was pretty much like, you watch a film like this and it's like, oh, this is just something that like, you know, it's a really great concept. But it's like mm-hmm. we we practically lived half of it last year with that bullshit, you know, because one man died, uh, you know, because of a cop's arrogance. And, you know, the world just didn't want to take it anymore, which is you know, fantastic. But, you know, I think one life has to be lost for the, the world to stand up against this shit. Yeah. And that just sucks. In 1983 especially mm-hmm. in Canada, this is kind of like speculative fiction more than anything else. <laughs> and, but now it's just real and it's right. It, that's how fucking sad things have gotten. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I, I really like this, like a oh, uh, fucking definitely it, it's got, it, it does have like standout moments of violence and gore. So like it fits the exploitation tropes, mm-hmm. but it doesn't rely on shocks and sex to sell it like a typical no. grindhouse film. Yeah. Barbara, we, we, well, Barbara wears like a sheer, t- a sheer bra at one point. We kind of see her tits in it, but it's not like we're like, Oh, mm-hmm. because that's when she, when she's like getting changed, that's the one time when Cabe actually sneaks in and tries to stab her to death with a fucking, you know, grabs her hair, and yeah. we just, it's great that Horatio is just in, like, gets in the room just in time to stop him. Um, yeah. And oh, it's like, oh, that reminds me. I love that. I love that part where uh, mm-hmm. Horatio tries to kill the dude through the mirror at one point, but he's out of bullets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, the, and it clicks and you think, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, that's, and that's how they find out that, they, that that's how they were able to kill everybody. Like, they were mm-hmm. able to kill the one guy, at least with the, with the bolt through the neck. Yeah. Because, um, like, how the fuck did he do this? Like, and then. As he's saying, he pulls out the gun. Yeah, he pulls out the rifle and he clips and he's like, "Shit!" And he just starts spraying through the through the thing. Yeah, which gets a couple of people shot in the hand. I like Chester getting shot in the hand. I think during that during that scene. Yeah, um, yeah. And then like Chester goes out. And he has, I don't know if it was a was it is it just a trigger? Like he has something that sets up that kind of sets an alarm off to them to tell them that something's happened outside of like outside of well, him because well, no, he by the, he, by the like, time like him. By the time Chester comes downstairs, Cave yeah. has already entered the building. No, yeah, no. I'm saying yeah. there's there, there's a reference in that scene when Cave, when Chester gets killed by Cave, he gets pretty much strangled to death. Yeah, and there's a thing that's kind of hanging in his hand, in his in his shirt. That's because his shirt has been pulled up. There's kind of like this little button that oh. looks like it. I, I yeah, I'm like I'm like because they kept showing it. Like I don't know if it was either he had a built-in like explosive on him or he had some kind of like trigger that set off an alarm for them to tell like that something was bad was happening because he kept trying to grab it, but it was because I guess with his shirt and everything pulled it up a little bit, so it was like too far for his hand to grab. Hmm. When you okay. go back, look back at this because I was I was right. I because I don't know because I don't remember them referencing it, but when he's getting killed. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's another thing where another scene, another person they kept showing 
because it's definitely because his dead body looked really, you know, really good. So it's like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to go back to him every once in a while. And especially when people run past and we're going to sit on him for a well, second. Yeah, that's that's where, you know, that's where it gets to be like a slasher movie. It's like, oh, the, yeah. you know, it's, it's the Michael Myers moment where you see the other bodies, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like shit. Yeah. The arrow through the neck, I understood because it was just like that was a really good effect. It looked really good, especially in that in this like remaster that they did for it. Mm-hmm. Um it doesn't look cheap, but it looks, you know, he's because he's got the blood fucking coming out, like through his face and his eyes. Yep. He's got the fucking through the neck. It's it's worthwhile kind of constantly reference. Every time somebody, somebody goes into that bathroom, they look down and it sits there for about a second to look at yeah. it. And you can definitely tell the director's going, look, look at this fucking thing. Mm-hmm. We spent the money yeah. on this and it looks great. <laughs> he's dead and his eyes are still open. Yeah. And, yeah. It's like, look at this. Like, like, uh, like. <laughs> You can definitely tell like he knew what he wanted to show off with effects wise. Yeah. And I think you have this competent cast of crew, uh, cast of actors that really work well. Like you have Cabe, like the guy who plays Cabe, he's, you know, six words in the whole fucking thing. Mm. You know, he just he just demands um, this kind of menace. You know, you have you know, the, when the woman who plays Barbara. She is kind of on the teeter mm-hmm. of like completely losing her shit, but she's able to kind of hold it in just enough. They, and then you they, have, yeah, they, they yeah. show her. They show her being high strung at the beginning, like where yeah. she's like joking just, for cigarettes and stuff. Yeah, she's you like, know? and when she does get cigarettes, she's smoking. I'm like, fuck, it, three at a time. Mm-hmm. Like she, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I like, I like, I like the whole fact. Like, I didn't realize that the other guy was blind until mm-hmm. later because he's wearing, wearing glasses. I have my, one of my uncles is legally blind with the state of New York, so like, I never when I was a kid, I never realized it. Like, and then when when we got older, like, it was like, oh, okay, like, no wonder he was, no wonder, like. You know, he wasn't allowed to ride a motorcycle, but he did it anyway yeah. for fucking 30 fucking years. <laughs> um, <laughs> like now, like he's in his 60s and it's if he takes those glasses off, just fuck nothing. all. Yeah, yeah. You, need, you can't you don't want him near stairs when he does that shit. You know, like, all right, you know, because he will fucking take a header. Right. Like it, yeah. But yeah, like I really like the cast. Uh, like, I really like the way it was. I like the fact that it's like a whole one night thing. I'm always a big fan of those kind of mm. films. And like I said, like I went and bought the Blu-ray and like I just ordered it. Because I was like, "Fuck, I need, I, I need this. Like, I have the digital. It's fine, great, but I need a physical copy of it." And I was like, mm-hmm. "Say, like, fuck it, yeah, yeah." Mm-hmm. Uh, I will mention uh, just, just pop for me personally. Just being an East Coast boy, like seeing a there, there was a case of Alexander Keith's beer at one point in the closet. <laughs> okay. uh, there was Hermit's wine, which is the the predominant bum wine on the East coast that they had in the fridge that they were, you know, like here, have a drink of this. It'll, it'll set you right. It's like, no, you should, probably shouldn't be doing that. You got fascists outside trying to kill you, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, and I will also mention, like uh, I did look this up on letterboxes, like see what people thought of it. It was like, and I always start with the negative reviews first. It's see right. how funny they get. And almost all the negative reviews are like, this movie's too dark because they only saw the VHS copy. Yeah, they need to come back and see it mm-hmm. again. Yeah, that's that's the sad part when you when you have films like this where it's it's not under it's underseen. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not for it's it's kind of forgotten. And it's great that a company like Severin kind of just threw it out there. Yeah. Like in the middle of like nothing. It's like, hey, by the way, we have this film, we're releasing it. And it's like within like a bunch of other shit that they do every month. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. I've never heard of it. So it's like, great. And then they're, they, when they put their trailer stuff out, I'm like, oh, this, you know, they pick the best fucking points and stuff like that. Like, oh, definitely have to pick it up. And it was definitely on a wish list of mm-hmm. films because Severin has become one of my favorite boutique labels in the last couple of years. Um, 
And like every time they do a sale, I at least pick up one or two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, oh, slowly I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then when you were like, you want, and like you said, you picked it up and did like an unboxing on YouTube. I was like, yeah, I want to be on that show. That looks <laughs> fucking dope as hell, that movie. And then was, yeah, now we're here. We are. Um, you also you also want to be in the uh, Nas- Nosferatu in Venice show as well. Yes, I do. Yeah. I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I because I want I want to hear your opinions on that film, and I want to. Oh boy, yeah, (laughs) yeah, that fucking movie's too much, man. Yeah, that's fucking Um, nuts. I've got no, I've got no real trivia for this because we kind of actually went through it mostly in our discussion. Okay, Uh, no budget information or box office. Right, from what from I understand, it did kind of okay. Well, he was able to make continue making movies, so I'm guessing. Did pretty well. So you can find a couple versions of this on YouTube. Uh, I would not recommend it though because they are the real dark, shitty VHS rips yeah, that where you right. literally you can't see anything for like a good part of the film if you watch Ugh, those versions. Fuck. No. Um, like you said, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, you could you could download the Severin Blu-ray print from Rare Lust, or you can just go and buy the DVD Blu-ray. Uh, whichever is your preference, and I yeah. would just recommend doing that. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, go and go and. St- feel it to be honest but you're gonna want to buy it after you see it mm-hmm. because it's definitely like i like the between rent and buy was like a dollar and i was like fuck it just buy it like, yeah i'm gonna watch it again like any anything like i said anything Severn puts their name on i'm like fuck it i'm just gonna buy it I, even if i haven't seen it and that's most of the shit that like well not like maybe 60 percent of the shit they put out i'm like i haven't seen it especially the franco stuff I'm like i haven't mm-hmm. seen it and i still buy it because i'm like i need to have it I like it's, I like their choice for yeah, the stuff, the stuff they, they it's not they pick and then it's like like this I think was something that like the the guy who runs that company had on VHS for a long time and he's always been trying to get it as a release like that's kind of the one thing I love too is that they they do stuff that they they know are going to make money but then they pick mm. stuff like Siege where it's it's a fifty fifty but it's something that you know um, what's his fucking name uh, <laughs> I can't remember now um, grew up watching on VHS in the UK. And was like, we need if, if it ever comes up in a lot, if it ever comes up an ability where I can purchase the rights to release it, I need to do that. And that, yeah. that's just, that, I love that with a company where they're just like, I don't know if it's going to make us any money, but I think it's a really great film. They found like a few years back or something like that. They found negatives of this um, somewhere, and I don't know where exactly they found them, but they did. And so it was available. And so they picked it up. Right. And then you've got uh, the director of Hobo of a shotgun was kind of championing it. Yeah. Jason Eisner. He's a, yeah. Anything like that or th- things he's a huge fan of when he, mm-hmm. when that, when Severn put that on DVD, he fucking went nuts about that. And he's on all the special features. I think he even does the commentary for the, yes on the disc, right? With the director. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good commentary. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So yeah. Awesome. So I, I think, you know, I think pretty strong recommendation from both of us for this one. Uh, definitely. Definitely worth picking up. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Vaughn, thank you very much for being on. It was a pleasure to have you back, man. Yeah, it's good. It's good, good, good. It's good to be back. You know, I've been I'm kind of making this kind of rain around. I have, I have to get off my own ass. I'm making my own shit <laughs> But like, I'm very happy to kind of just come in and just kind of talk especially like a film like this and it's it's just it's just a really good time so yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you too so, much oh no uh, my pleasure uh please plug all your stuff all right so you heard the promo before i think it's 100 years old but um 
so I do the same kind of show that Lee does, but I don't have anybody on there normally. I have been kind of doing guests, and I should try to get you on before the end yes. of the year because this is this is my thirteenth year podcasting. So I've been kind of making an effect to kind of get people in and and do different things and get more voices out there. Um, so Motion Picture Massacre is a, a cult exploitation horror kind of grindhouse, you know, genre podcast. Um, I kind of just whimly just pick shit off the, off the wall and I talk about it. I'm kind of that guy that you met in high school that's seen every fucking thing and wants to make sure that you get this. This is what you need to watch. Yeah. You know, and I do the shows whenever I feel like it. I'm not a guy who's kind of, uh, you know, I did that whole weekly thing. I kind of gave up. Um, now it's just kind of random. Um, Mm-hmm. If you like that, if you like talking on this show, it's motionpicturemassacre.wordpress.com. If you're on any kind of social, especially Letterbox, Instagram, and Twitter, it's all MP Massacre. You can follow me all through there. Yeah, and I'll link all that shit in the show notes. Uh, check Vaughn's stuff out. And yeah, you've had a lot of guests on lately. Uh, yeah, I've done a couple of things. I had um, I did Hillbilly Horror the last episode with Brody Black, which was just kind of a uh, give all like, and then I've done a couple of episodes because um, he recently passed. Um, is it Robert Downey Robert, Senior? Yeah. So I did. I did a long form episode. I can actually do another one because I still haven't. I've only gone through the sixties and seventies. I can do the eighties, which I'm kind of like. Uh, like I want to, I want to find a good copy of the Academy and do it, but I oh, have yeah. not been very good at finding a good copy of that film. <laughs> but yeah, I did two episodes of Greaser's Palace, a bunch of his mm-hmm. short form stuff. I'm thinking of doing a uh, Norman Mailer show now that I found I got a copy of uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance. Oh yeah. Um, so now I have all his films. So I'm like, mm. so, um, yeah. So it's just it's a, it's a show that I kind of just it's a stuff that I really enjoy and really like. Like I'm, I'm I'm dating somebody now, and so she's getting to know the kind of weird shit that I'm into, um, and she's kind of one kind of intrigued and two kind of horrified, which I can understand. Any any woman who's not a big huge movie fan can get a little overwhelmed <laughs> about all this silly bullshit. I mean, so, I'm, I'm kind of in the similar sim- situation <laughs> that you are yeah. with, with, uh-huh. with my girlfriend, uh, right. but, but uh, this will be burnt into mm-hmm. your uh, lady's mind at some point. Yeah. Oh man. I knew I had that on hand for, <laughs> oh my god yeah uh but yeah um i don't know what we're doing next i actually it's probably going to be like a another week or so before we get another episode out because Mm -hmm. i am working next weekend so Mm -hmm. uh but thank you vaughn and people if you want to find us go to tmbdos.podbean.com find all uh my facebook apple podcast all the bullshit links you know, go to YouTube and make obtuse comments that I hate <laughs> and and, uh, and shit like that. But you know, um, yeah, uh, it was an absolute pleasure, Vaughn. Yeah, uh, thanks this for is being fun. here. Yeah, and uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you have been listening to Cape. That's the wrong fucking one again. <laughs> That's the wrong outro. I got to fucking fix my soundboard. All right.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.